0: Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 7, and we're recording on August 18th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. How are you doing? (laughs) In the closet again, again. The never-ending construction zone that is my block. I don't even know. And also, we're recording this a whole, pretty much a whole week in advance because I'm going away on vacation. So my my normally very tidy existence is a little untidy right now, but I tried to tidy my brain up before I called you, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's good enough, and you sound great. I'm sure it's all the clothes. Yes.
1: And at least you get to go on vacation after this. That's super exciting and fun.
0: Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, right. Family vacations are always a little fraught, but I think it's gonna be family vacations. I I will everybody knock on wood for a good one.
1: (laughs) I'm knocking on wood right now, but you can't hear it because I wanna protect your ears.
0: No, thank you. I appreciate (laughs) it. All right, so today we are going to talk about princesses and like every piece of adaptation news ever because this is a very adaptation-heavy week uh, that we are having right now. It feels Um, like a very adaptation-heavy year.
1: Like every time time I've seen news so far, it's been about adaptations, but I'm not angry about it because there are a lot of good ones coming.
0: No, there are good ones. And you know, I don't know how much attention I was paying to it before this year to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been a short
1: year. So what can you do? What can Um, you do? (laughs) So before we get into that though, we are going to talk about our first sponsor and that is Mask of Shadows by Lindsay Miller. And this is the first book in a fantasy duology. And it might appeal to fans if you like Leigh Bardugo or Sarah J. Maas and Christian, Kristen Kishore. You might like this book. Uh, it follows a thief whose name is Sal Leon. He is a good thief. And he wants nothing more than to escape the drudgery of life as a highway robber and get closer to the upper class and the nobles who destroyed their home. Um, But when Sal steals a flyer for an audition to become a member of the left hand, which is the Queen's personal assassins, which sounds like a very exciting job. Uh, named after the ring she wears, Sal jumps at the chance to infiltrate the court and get revenge. So this is a sounds like a really like if you like that court intrigue and you also like reading about thieves, which I have a particular liking for for some reason. But um, you might like this one. It also follows a gender fluid main character, and the book was written as an in answer to a call for more diverse. Young adult fiction. So, if that sounds awesome to you, you should check out Mask of Shadows by Lindsay Miller. And thank you for sponsoring our show.
0: All right. Before we dive in, I want to give us a shout out.
1: (laughs) Hooray us. (laughs) I know.
0: Because we have a new sci fi fantasy shirt that y'all might be interested in. Uh, It is one of those shirts that has, you know, the group of names. There's got to be a word for this meme, but I don't know what it is. But anyway, the shirt has, we're calling it the Bad Broads of sci-fi fantasy, and it's got Mary and Ursula and Madeline and Octavia on it. For, as you might guess, Mary Shelley, Ursula Le Guin, Madeline L'Engle, and Octavia Butler. And it can be yours. I wore mine to the grocery store the other day, and a oh, woman yeah. came up to me and was like, oh my gosh, I love your shirt. And I was so delighted that somebody <laughs> knew what it was.
1: That is so awesome because it does have their first name. So it's almost like, you know, checking how good you are with your... SFF knowledge while you're out and about. Oh, so yeah, that's actually really cool that she she recognized all the names.
0: Mhm. It is definitely sort of like a a very low-key litmus test. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I have to I don't have one myself, but I feel like I need to get one because I used to live in Pasadena where Octavia Butler lived and now I live in Portland where Ursula Le Le Guin lives. So like I sort of have to represent my different locales and uh, yeah, I just want to one day wear it around and hope that Ursula Le Guin sees me and (gasps) we can become best friends and we can make a selfie in the badass (laughs) broad yes this is never gonna happen people but i'm just expressing my dreams and
0: it's hopes. the best dream it's such a good <laughs> dream i want Thank this you. for you now i want it for you
1: let's all wish really hard <laughs> and if a selfie appears on my instagram one day you'll know that it was because of your help yes <laughs> all,
0: right. all right where do you want to start with our news Let's talk about
1: the Hugo Award winners for Mm -hmm. 2017 because it's super exciting and there were so many great wins this year. So the big story is that N.K. Jemison won the best novel for a second year in a row, which hasn't happened in a really long time since like the 90s. And of course, she was also the first black person to win the Hugo for best novel. So this is like really groundbreaking. And I was super excited about this news because she's an extremely talented person. If you've read her books, you know how amazing they are. And um, yeah, this was for the Obelisk Gate and the fifth season also won a Hugo Award. And yeah, it's so awesome. I just can't even express it. There, there were there were so many votes this year, too, that it just seemed like a really good sign for science fiction and fantasy. I mean, I never doubted its popularity, but it's a good sign. And there were a lot of women who won awards. So that was amazing as well. And yeah, it's just great, great news.
0: Yeah, this year was less fraught, it felt like, uh, because it didn't have quite as much of the Sad puppies, rabid puppies, block voting nonsense. I mean, I didn't hear much about it. It seemed like there was... Either they gave up or I just wasn't hearing about it and it wasn't enough to do any real damage because we did have no awards in 2015 and a couple in 2016 because of that block voting. But it seems like we've bounced back, which I am hopeful for. And yeah, it, it was a really good lineup of winners and obviously I am a huge Jemison fan and I would not be surprised I'm gonna say it now and hopefully this doesn't jinx it but I would not be surprised if she won three years in a row because oh, The Stone man. Sky is so good like it really is one of the best third books in a trilogy I've ever read so I don't know if that's like too much or not enough but <laughs> but I, I, I would be here for it is all I'm saying oh which reminds me about the adaptation news that the yes. fifth season is going to be developed <laughs> as a TV series by TNT. Like, w- what I I can't imagine. I'm not sure how that particular matchup happened. But regardless, super excited about that adaptation. Yeah, and it sounds like they actually
1: um, they bought the rights to the book before it even won a Hugo. Which is like, to me, I'm like, wow, that is some really incredible foresight and good looking out for excellent work on their part. So, it's been a long time coming. I mean, we've been talking about adaptation news and I feel like suddenly I know just how long things take to actually <laughs> develop. And this is one of those things that obviously sounds like it's been um a while in the works, but it's still of course in development. It takes a while still. But yeah, this is incredible. I I mean, I'm always here for entertainment featuring a bunch of, like, super amazing women. And this series is chock-a-block with those characters. So I'm really glad that they chose this work to adapt. And I'm going to try and watch it if it's if it's available to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm also glad it's going to be uh, uh, – there are – they're pitching it, I want to say, as a series. not it, Yeah, it's not just a movie. It's it's a series. Yeah. Which I think series. this book deserves. I mean, the whole series, it would be amazing if they could do the whole thing. But even if they just do the, the fifth season alone, it's got such an intense and spectacular twist, you know? Um, yeah. And such a good storyline that I feel like it will be... It will be really good if if they do a good job. I mean, obviously, it will be good <laughs> if they do a good job. But, but I really want them to do a good job because the, the source material is so good. And it's also, I mean, as you know, if you've read the books, it's a largely persons of color cast. Like, race is a really mm-hmm. big deal in this world, and most people are darker rather than whiter, which is not the norm for epic fantasy, obviously. Um, so they kind of, you know... If they stick to the source material at all, we're going to see a really inclusive cast, which is super exciting as well. So,
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see who they end up casting. And I'm sure there's like a bunch of fan castings or dream castings going on out there in the world.
0: We've got one on Book
1: Riot. (laughs) That's right. I thought (laughs) I saw that come out today. Uh, Yeah, we should definitely put that in the link to the show notes because I didn't get a chance to take a quick uh, look at it, but... I can't wait to see what everybody thinks, who everybody thinks should be actors, and I I don't know. I don't know who I would choose myself, but I'm just hoping they make some good decisions because this. I think some of these roles take a lot of gravitas, and <laughs> these actors are probably going to need it, but yeah, I'm super looking forward to that, and I guess we can talk about another, we might as well move on with adaptation news, uh, with Ava DuVernay's adaptation of Octavia, Octavia Butler's Dawn. So this is one of those ones where it, everything I've been hearing about with adaptations is, you know, recent works. And this is one of those works that has, really taken a while to come around to being adapted and maybe it's because of you know we've also had um we had uh what was it i can't remember the other book that's a classic that was just adapted um ringle yeah. and Yes, a wrinkle in time. Thank By you so much. Ava
0: Duvernay yes. also, right? Like <laughs> yes. she's
1: she's cleaning up. Yeah. She is. And she's choosing some great ones. So this is and this is the first of Butler's work being developed for television. And um, it is uh, based on the book Dawn, which is about a war that's happened after the nuclear apocalypse. Um And there was a near extermination of the human race, and the survivors are rescued by an alien species. I love alien anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a black woman is the first person to to be awakened, and she has to lead her people. So it sounds like – it sounds perfect for adaptation and – Yeah, I can't wait to see how DuVernay adapts the book. I think she's so talented. Like, I kind of don't doubt her ability to do it. Mm -mm. And I can't wait for people who haven't heard about Octavia Butler to learn about her. Because, I mean, Bloodchild, the short story collection, is one of my absolute favorite works ever. So the more people know about Octavia Butler, I think the better. She's so talented.
0: I agree and it's another tv adaptation which is also makes me happy i give like give me all the episodes of all the things <laughs> i
1: know exactly yeah and i know now i i'm seeing that a wrinkle in time will be on netflix and um yeah i just want i want to be able to follow a story along i mean i love movie adaptations as well but I feel like more and more now I'm into the TV adaptations just because I don't feel crushed when it ends so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome news. Um, Do you want to choose what we talk about? Yeah, there's
0: so many. Gosh, all right. Um, I'm going to give us another adaptation to talk about here, and it is uh, a brand new development, or brand newish. As of this month, uh, The Changeling by Victor LaValle has also Uh, been acquired to develop as a TV series, which, now this one I actually feel nervous about, (laughs) <laughs> and because the book is really horrifying I on purpose. Like, it, hey, did you
1: read it yet? I ha- I'm about to go buy it this weekend because I okay. got a Powell's gift card. Yes, but I have I have almost had to avoid people talking about it because everybody's like screaming anytime they talk about the Changeling because of the material, the yeah. dark elements that
0: I. I yeah. I mean, I will say that if you are a parent. Yeah. Perhaps you should ask somebody to tell you what the thing is. It's been interesting because I, I did a review of this book and I had a really hard time knowing whether or not to say the thing that is like the thing. That it, it comes in the first third of the book, but there's a really horrifying moment. Um and, and some reviewers are talking about it and some are not. Um mm-hmm. so if you do any Googling, you could potentially find out. But it was I was not prepared for it. I didn't know oh, about no. it, and I was I was very surprised and it was really intense um and 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 I can't imagine how they're going to film it I literally cannot imagine how they will film it. Like, I I guess, I mean, this is what, you know, film, or, you know, producers and directors do. Like, they figure that out. But, wow. But, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But I love Victor Laval. I mean, I think this book is a great book, despite it's, you know, it is a horror novel. Like, there's a reason it's, it's marked horror. Um, and, uh, and and Laval is going to be a co-executive producer, which hopefully means something yes. good. Like, I have no idea how much power that actually gives him over, you know, how things get done. But I will hope that it is a good thing and that he will have some say. And we've seen we've seen, you know, like the magicians. Um I don't know if Lev Grossman had an official title, but I know he wasn't super involved with the ma- with the sci fi adaptation of The Magicians, which on the whole I mean it had problems, but it was pretty good. So so there's sort of precedence, right? And obviously Game of Thrones. Like there's precedence yes. for for good effects and and good handling of complicated material, or at least handling of complicated material. I don't know how good some of it has been, but um, yeah, I, it's a big wheel see, and I'm both nervous and excited, but really super nervous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like Laval is not the sort of person who would let things slide if he felt like they were handling the material in a bad way and i mean that might not mean that he has the ultimate say so but i feel like he wouldn't you know be quiet about it at least one hopes. so that's one a hopes. really yeah yeah one hopes um but right. <laughs> yeah. i think i sort of did kind of spoil because i came across one of those reviews where it kind of mentioned it and mm-hmm. i am also um I can see why this would be a difficult a difficult thing to treat in TV format. But I don't know there's so much violence and there it's are so true. many disturbing things in television now it's that very true. I kind of am like like, you know these days maybe a few years ago i would have been i would have been curious about how they would possibly deal with it but i feel like now they just go for it <laughs> which is like you know Ugh. for some people that might not be great yeah
0: <laughs> but <laughs> all of the viewer advisory warnings
1: <laughs> once we see it we can share our thoughts
0: Indeed, if and it, it'll be like yeah. four years from now, given how long yeah, things take to develop That's
1: so <laughs> we'll be like, did we ever talk about right do
0: <laughs> we talk about this who knows who are we <laughs> what, what do you want to talk about next?
1: um let's see well, we can talk about there was some news just to bring it out of the oh my goodness, this isn't really bringing it out of adaptations but <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is about um. Twilight and Hunger Games which has already been adapted. So it's kind of old adaptation news that has been turned new because now Lionsgate is saying there may be more. There may be more in the future from the Hunger Games and Twilight properties. So basically spin-offs like think um you know, Game of Thrones. So it's not necessarily material that has come from the books, but they want to make other material related to Hunger Games and Twilight. And they're just basically waiting for Stephanie Meyer and Suzanne Collins to give the green light for those things to proceed. And I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I it's difficult for me because I get so fatigued by spinoffs. Like, Yeah. When they announced the Game of Thrones spinoffs, I immediately, like, knee-jerk groaned. So, and I am honestly not a big Twilight fan. So, I personally am not that interested. But I know that once these, like, this is the Lionsgate CEO who's talking about, once they find something that has obviously been a huge hit and made their company a lot of money. Of course, they want to continue it as long as possible and, you know, milk it for all it's worth. So now they are potentially doing that. It's still not confirmed. So it's still to be seen
0: Yeah, this feels to me like they want their own Harry Potter situation. Like, as far as we can see, Rowling will never ever stop releasing random bonus material. (laughs) And or random bonus movies. So, and plays, and like, like when will the TV show? There will be a cartoon, I predict right now. Oh my God. There will be a cartoon before very much longer. Like, certainly. And so it seems like this is, you know, these are sort of similar-ish franchises in terms of, you know, they had a large popular and commercial appeal. Um, they're oriented towards teenagers, which is, you know, a market that everybody wants to hit. So, like, it's very, it feels very much to me like they want their own never-ending franchise of teen-oriented material, and, like, that's that's nice, I guess. I mean, if, if, <laughs> it, I guess, you know, sure, like, I don't know. I it, It's not for me. It's like they're not doing it for me, right? They're not yeah. – I'm not the target audience for this that's stuff. That's a good way of so saying it. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe they won't get anything because Meyer certainly has moved on. She's been writing – you know, she wrote a murder that's mystery right. this year. She wrote a thriller. Like, I she's doing other stuff. So I don't know – I don't know, you know, I have no idea what Suzanne Collins is up to at the moment, but it seems to me that both of them have done other things since they had their big hits and and perhaps are less interested in revisiting. But I you know, if you turn it over to somebody else and you keep getting a paycheck, like who knows? Who knows? So we'll see. It might end up
1: be one of those things where it's like we never hear about it again because nobody agreed to it.
0: Exactly. I mean, they have to get somebody to sign off on stuff that either they haven't written or that, you know, they want they have to write now suddenly. So and that seems more complicated to me than Than easy, but who knows? Again, who knows? (laughs) Who Who knows? knows? The end. The end, (laughs) right, exactly. All right, so before we get into our princesses' discussion, I will tell you about our second sponsor, which is All Rights Reserved by Gregory Scott Katsoulis. This is a dystopia, speaking of things that are dystopias, and for (laughs) teenagers, well, not just for teenagers, because let's be honest, everybody reads YA, as we should. Uh, This is a book that will appeal to you if those are interesting things. So this is about a young girl named Speth Jime, who has turned 15, and she lives in a world in which every form of communication is legally owned by like, a corporation or a person, so you can't – like, you have to pay every time you speak – Um, Every time you make a certain type of gesture like it's all trademarked and monitored and you have to pay and so it's very easy to fall into debt Um, and she has been raised knowing the consequences of that and has like been you know policing herself for as long as she can remember um, trying to keep herself from getting into trouble and into debt But then her friend, whose name is Beecher, uh, actually commits suicide rather than work off his family's debt, Um, and she discovers that she has things she wants to say but can't say them. So now she decides that she's never going to speak ever again. Um, And this is not something that people have done before. It's seen as a huge action of defiance. There's a media frenzy. Uh, Now other people are joining her and protesting of the system and the way it works. Her family is under scrutiny and the whole thing is blowing up. Uh, So this is a novel about what it means to, like, what it means to use silence as a form of protest, um, what it might look like if everything, every gesture, every word was trademarked, and you had to license everything you said. Uh, And it's about poverty and indebtedness, so there's a lot going on here. Uh, So if you are interested in those ideas and interested in seeing what kind of world that might look like, certainly a fascinating premise, you will definitely want to check it out it's all rights reserved by gregory scott katsoulis thank you so much for sponsoring the show all right sharifa princesses i'm so excited i'm (laughs) so excited
1: me too i mean i was never i was never down on the princess stories because like one of the first movies i watched was princess bride but i know i love that movie so much Nowadays, it turns out I'm a huge fan of grimdark princess stories because (laughs) I just realized that both of my picks today, like, sort of expose the seedy underbelly of royalty. It's just so delightful. Um, So my fantasy pick for the princess stories is Three Dark Crowns by Kendari Blake. And I admit that it's a bit of a cheat because the story is about three queens rather than princesses, but in my mind, you're not truly a queen until you're sitting on that throne. And Three Dark Crowns is about the battle for that throne, for the to be the queen, the one queen. And I have to tell you that the journey to get there is really, really not pretty. So don't like really dark stories. This might not be your cup of tea, but I'm the writing is so good and the characters are so good. Um so the story begins 4 months before Beltane on the 16th birthdays of the three sisters. They're triplets and the sisters were separated early in their childhood. They don't remember each other and the reason For this separation is that the goddess sees fit to bring about the birth of three queens every time a new cycle of rulership is impending. So basically what happens is with each triplet set born, one sister is skilled in the art of poisons, one is an elemental, and one is a naturalist. And each time a triplet set is born, they're stolen away from each other and trained in their respective arts so that they can reunite To kill each other. (laughs) (laughs) As Auntie Entity might say, three sisters enter, one queen leaves. And the training scenario for the poisoner, uh, Catherine, is particularly heinous. So if you have a weak stomach, you should know that there's some ick factor. Uh, Because how better to train a poisoner than to teach them immunity by drinking and eating and being exposed to poisons but if that doesn't bother you and if you also happen to be a slytherin you will absolutely love grief's shake and the poisoner culture slytherin was like the first thing it reminded me of when i was reading the district the descriptions of like the place and the society of people and how they act um but each of the girls not only has their individual talents, they have their different personalities and feelings about this thing they have to do. And rumor has it that the elemental sister, Mirabella, is the most powerful of the three and that the naturalist sister, Arsino is completely powerless. And this is not a spoiler the rumor comes up, like, right at the beginning of the book, and it is, after all, a rumor. Uh, but there's another character, Jules, who's Arsino's best friend and a super powerful naturalist, and she has this mountain cougar, which is super cool. I really like Jules as one of the side characters, and Arsino as well, because I'm kind of a hippie. Uh, But I feel like this is one of those books where readers will really enjoy picking a side. So if you like that sort of book where you get to sort of root for somebody, this is a good one. Um, But really, it's all worrying and anxiousness over this impending quickening ceremony and the Beltane Festival and then the Year of Ascension where things really come to a head and all the people in all the land will find out which of the three queens will rule and which will perish And I should, uh, as a side note, say that this is the first book in an unfinished series. And I'm telling you this now so you don't get angry at me later. (laughs) Don't at her. (laughs) No, don't at me. (laughs) So, yeah, that was my pick. Um, And, again, that was Three Dark Crowns by Kendari Blake.
0: This is so hard because there's so many good princess books. So many. Um, But – I was thinking a lot about princess tropes in fantasy fiction and how there's a lot of runaway princesses, um, and and then I was thinking about lost princesses, right? Because that's another thing, like Queen of the Tearling style, like has been you know disappeared and now it's going to come back. And I was trying to think about books that broke that mold a little bit. And what I came up with was The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison, which is a different series by my favorite <laughs> author who I will not shut up about. Sorry, not Jemisin sorry. It's an
1: hour. It is.
0: I mean, every podcast could be, but I try to restrain myself. So <laughs> t- I didn't this time, though. So The Hundred Thousand <laughs> Kingdoms is the first in a trilogy. It is finished. Uh, and th- it's a really interesting trilogy because the first one is very much about this, like, Power struggle and court politics, you know, very sort of Westerosian in in that sense. Like, it is all about who is going to claim this throne. There is an aging ruler, and he has—there are two— like, young adults are, I think they're maybe in their, like, late teens, early 20s. I was unsure how old anybody was in this book. It's definitely not a teen book, though. <laughs> Note <Okay. laughs> to everyone, not a teen book. Okay, so so there are two sort of heir appearance to the throne, and the expectation by everybody at court is that they're going to battle it out, and one of them will emerge triumphant to win once the current ruler is dead. However, he decides to like throw a spoke in the works and invites Yena who has is the daughter, it's his granddaughter And she has not been at court ever. Her mother left court, um, married someone else, and set herself up in, like, this northern territory that's considered, you know, barbaric by the people at court. Um, And Yena has been raised to lead them. Like, she's been raised to be a leader, but she's been raised to lead... like a territory a group of people um not like a intense political negotiating system like she's in charge of making sure people get fed and have trade rights and all of that stuff but it's a pretty straightforward gig it's much more of a warrior culture there than it is like a court culture so she gets pulled into this like kind of out of nowhere she suddenly summoned to court she doesn't have an option she has to go her you know cousins i think they're her cousins who have been raised in court have all of the the allies and the power and all of the tricks up their sleeve and they're nasty horrible people um (laughs) and they don't want her there they're like okay you can die now go away do not mess up my bid for the throne like i will dispose of you immediately and she is basically fighting for her life and for a throne that she has no interest in but it doesn't matter she Like, this is what she has to do. And the way that she responds is so cool to watch. Um, She is not, like, necessarily, like, a political genius, but she's really stubborn. She's very pragmatic, and she has been raised to make hard, awful choices uh, by her mother. And so she, like, she she can kind of see how you know, she can at least stay alive long enough for somebody else to get the throne and then maybe she can go home. Like, she, she doesn't want the <laughs> throne. She just wants to make it through this selection process without dying. Um, and what complicates matters even more, because, of course, this is a fantasy, is that there are enslaved gods living in the palace. They have, somebody found a way to to control actual god beings and have them do their bidding. And they are being controlled by the other claimants to the throne. But because they're enslaved and because they're gods, they're not particularly happy about this situation. So Yeno finds herself sort of drawn into that layer of this as well. And there's a really intense sort of theological world building going on here that comes out even more in the following two books in this series. So it's a really it's really complex and it's really it is very graphic there is there is some really intensely weird sex that happens <laughs> oh um, for goodness. the record like it weird in the sense that like it's a mortal and a not mortal so like things get interesting um oh my <laughs> hashtag interesting it. and uh, <laughs> and so it is a graphic book there's a lot of violence um there's a lot of, like, backstabbing, and there's some torture. Like, it's not easy reading, but the characters are so well-drawn. The world is so complex and fascinating. Like, it's so painstakingly put together. You get this, like, really intense look at the history of this ruling dynasty. It's very, very good. Um I just, yeah, I I... I, and I, I forget sometimes that Ina was a princess. She just wasn't the same kind of princess as you get in a lot of other fantasies. And that's really interesting, too. So there's a lot of tropes being sort of busted and broken open here. So, yeah, that was my pick for, for my fantasy princess. So that's The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison. How many times can we say she's wonderful? I mean, all she's so great. <laughs> Some other time I'll talk about the Dreamblood duology, but you know, you'll just yes. have to wait.
1: <laughs> all right. So, for my science fiction pick, I chose Fairest, which is 3.5 in the Lunar Chronicle. So, this is not the first book in the series by Marissa Mayer. Is it Mayer or Meyer? Anyway. Um, I haven't read the other books in this series, so this might have been sort of a risky maneuver, reading this one first, but I kind of don't care. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Someone on Goodreads said that there are minor spoilers, which, of course, I, I couldn't know because I just read the book on its own. Uh, So I don't know what's a spoiler and what's not. But I'm not really that sensitive to that stuff. And the only thing I love more than a backstory is a villain's backstory. So this is kind of irresistible to me. Um, And Queen Lavanna is that villain. And in this book, she's not yet queen. She's a princess. And her parents have just been assassinated. And Lavana is shy and she's the underdog in the royal family, but she's not what we call nice and well-meaning. And I sort of went into this book thinking that I, I – probably read a synopsis somewhere where it made her sound like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's shy, and she's reserved, and she keeps to herself, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a book about, you know, somebody who was turned and twisted and made into this evil person, but we're going to see them, you know, they're going to hit our soft spots and, you know, make us love them and wish that things had gone differently, but Livana is not... <laughs> not necessarily that right from the beginning of the book you can sort of tell she has some serious issues and it is no wonder because her family is full of really not nice people and you don't get to meet her parents um in this book but It sounds like they were completely apathetic to Lavanna's existence because she's the youngest and she's also considered the ugly duckling. Uh, But in this society, everyone uses the power of glamour to make themselves beautiful and fantastic, and it all sounds like a Twilight Zone episode, but... Levana, she sort of relies on her glamour uh, both to make her beautiful when she has to be the focus of attention and to make herself invisible, but not in like the magical sense of invisibility, but in terms of her physical appearance, she sort of has this knack that I think a lot of introverts and shy people have of sort of fading into the background. But she also has to appear flawless at all times because, you know, all eyes are on her all the time. Um, But because her parents are dead, her older sister, Channery, is up to take the throne. And Channery, I mean, Lavanna's not great, but Channery is the absolute worst. Like, she does not think twice about humiliating Lavanna or slapping her little sister across the face to, for instance, jolt her out of her glamour and then call her ugly. Like, I mean, I... Yeah. yeah when i was reading about this I was like i had fights with my older sister as a kid but this is like beyond beyond mm. so Livana is completely damaged by these relationships and she has like she is equally angry at her sister and she you know has ill intentions toward her older sister and i kind of don't blame her for that but She's also obsessed with a certain someone at court, and you know that nothing is going, like, nothing good is gonna come of that obsession because, you know, obsession is not healthy. And there's really no other way to describe Lavana's feelings for the certain someone. But at the heart of things uh, is Lavana's desire to be seen and admired and loved, and she's desperate and not altogether without power. And, uh, if you haven't read the series, this story doesn't take place on Earth. Luna is an alien civilization, and in the world of the Lunar Chronicles, there are cyborgs and androids and science experiments, and in any case, this is not a book that will make you love Lavanna as a human being. She isn't really a likable character, but I was kind of glad for that. I find it refreshing once in a while, and I'm not not always looking for, like, the superhero Um, And I thought this was a great and short villain backstory. So, again, that was Fairest, and it's 3.5 in the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Mayer.
0: I have read the first three of the Lunar Chronicles, which are, like, very, like, sort of, you know, science fiction rewrites of fairy tales fun times mm-hmm. um but i knew that ferris was coming i might even have a copy of it somewhere and i haven't gotten to the last couple of books yet and i was very curious to hear how because she is the big baddie especially in the yeah. first book um and i was very curious so now i now i now i feel like i'm gonna have to read it sooner rather than later um okay <laughs> so for my science fiction princess i i have to shout out um, princess Leia because obviously like when you yeah. think of science fiction and princesses <laughs> space she is princess. she is she is space princess extraordinaire Um and I am not a reader of the Star Wars books but I did really enjoy Bloodline by Claudia Gray so if you are like you know if you need more Leia in your life and you haven't picked it up yet I do recommend it you don't need to know Really anything about the Star Wars universe that you wouldn't have already known from the movies to get into it. So, so yeah, shout out to Bloodline by Claudia Gray. But okay, so I picked a different space princess for mine. And it is uh, Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza. And the princess Re is a princess on the run. Because there are assassins who killed her entire family when she was, I want to say 10? 10. 10 And now she's 17, she's about to take the throne, and they're back to finish the job. Like, she only escaped through, like, a mischance. Everybody was supposed to die, so now she's the last scion of this dynasty, and she's going to take the throne, but somebody doesn't want her to. And she has believed, ever since it happened, that she knows exactly who's responsible for the assassination of her family, so she's been, like, plotting and preparing for these past seven years to, like take her revenge when she takes her throne. Like, she's got a plan. Um, but when she ends up going on the run, she finds out that she does not actually know anything that she thought she knew. Things are much different, much more complicated than she had thought. And it is a really intense scene when she finds that out. I was like, <laughs> no! Like, yelling at the page. Oh, no! <laughs> Um there's a lot of there's a lot of great characters in this series. Um Rhea is great. She's very like she's she's a little bit cold-blooded, which is kind of amazing. I mean, especially considering like she's royalty. She's going to be queen at a very young age and her whole family has been assassinated. So it makes sense. Um but she <laughs> (laughs) But she's also, like, she does care about people. She just also is, like, out to get her goals done. So that tension is a lot of what her journey is in the book. It's, like, how do you balance doing what you believe you absolutely have to do and, like, also trying to, like, take care of the people around you and also the people you're responsible for as royalty. It's complicated. There's also a soldier who becomes part of the story. He's actually framed for her assassination. Everybody thinks she's been assassinated, and he's framed for it. I don't think this is really a spoiler. Sorry, not sorry. Um, (laughs) No, it's in the description of the book. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) So he gets framed, and part of his framing is that he is from – a uh, ethnicity, a, a racial and background that is sort of looked down on. And um, so he's kind of the perfect scapegoat when all of his life he's been trying to be like a model minority. Like he's been trying to be the perfect, version of himself so that people will trust him and like him and not hold his identity against him or against any other people who share it. Um, And so this is, like, the exact opposite of what he has been trying to accomplish all his life. So he's understandably very upset about this, um, but also just confused. Like, he doesn't understand how it's happening when he's spent so much time on the exact opposite goal, um, and their paths sort of intersect, um, in interesting ways. And, and there's a bunch of great characters aside from that, even, I just really, I found this so enjoyable and it is the first in a series and the second one is not out until next year, but it's still really good, and you should pick it up sooner rather than later. There's a really great reveal towards the end of this one that sets the stage for book two. Um, but there is some good closure for book one, too. So, like, you get that nice balance that you can sometimes get with a first book. And, yeah, I, she's, she's my favorite, like, space princess on the run from Assassins that I've read in a while. <laughs> so, so that's Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza best
1: trope ever space princesses on the run from assassins. right awesome i wish we could talk about space princesses and fantasy princesses forever and ever but i think our time has come to an end thank you guys for listening as always and you can contact us please email us we welcome your thoughts and opinions and feelings at sffyeah at bookriot.com and also we welcome your feedback uh you can review us on apple podcasts and that also helps people find us so please do um and you can find me online at instagram i'm at s williams that's s z a i n a b williams
0: And I'm on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.